With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two Footed Podcast. Today is Thursday, the 15th of June. Hope you're all well. Not a nice day today. It's always good. We will start today with the UEFA Nations League. Why is the football still going on? Netherlands 2, 
Croatia 4 after extra time in the first semi-final. Daniel Malin had put the Netherlands 1 up. Kramaric equalised from the penalty spot. Pasalic put Croatia 2-1 up. Noah Lang scored in the very last minute to send the game to extra time. But then Petkovic scored and a late Luka Modric penalty wrapped it up. So Croatia are through to the final, which will take place on the 18th. Netherlands drop in to the third and fourth place playoff, which will also take place on the 18th. Tonight, we will see Spain versus Italy for the second spot in the final. Um, it is funny that the third and fourth place playoff, because of the translation from Dutch back to English, it's basically winner's match and loser's match, not final and third, third, third and fourth place playoff. But yeah, I I expect Italy to beat Spain. I don't know why, I just do. I expect Italy to beat Spain tonight and I expect them to beat Croatia in the final. Anyway, we're moving on. The Premier League fixtures have been announced for the upcoming season and the first weekend has thrown up some really interesting games. So the first round of fixtures will see Manchester City travel to Burnley on Friday the 11th of August for the late kickoff, first game of the season. It should be good. It's obviously Vincent Company versus his old club, Pep Guardiola versus a player he managed. Burnley ran through the championship last season, but City will go into that game, obviously, as strong favourites as the treble winners, and we will be expected to win that. In the first early kickoff of the season on Saturday, Arsenal will take on Nottingham Forest on what will be the newly rebranded TNT Sports. Arsenal Forest at 12.30. 3pm kickoffs. It is Bournemouth West Ham, Brighton versus Luton, Everton versus Fulham, and Sheffield United versus Crystal Palace. So some decent games there. Brighton versus Luton is the one that stands out to me. And then in a game that has been flexed to the 5.30 kickoff, initially it was down as a 3pm kickoff, Newcastle versus Aston Villa. So that one should be good. On the Sunday, we get Brentford versus Tottenham in the 2pm kickoff, and then Chelsea versus Liverpool in the 4.30 kickoff. And then finally, on the Monday, it is Manchester United versus Tottenham. So six games televised on UK TV over the weekend. Uh, Sky having five of them and poor old TNT Sports only having one of them. There are a lot of good games there. Burnley City is interesting just to see where Burnley stand into the division and to see how Vincent Company does. Brighton versus Luton is interesting because Luton are newly promoted and obviously Brighton have had a, just had a great season. And it will be interesting to see how they start next season. Newcastle versus Villa is the best game of the first two days. I think that's a really tough game for Newcastle to start off with, but also a very tough game for Unai Emery's Aston Villa. Both Sunday games should be really interesting. And the Monday night game isn't all that interesting, but it is what it is. Right, so that is how we will stand for the first weekend. There are... A lot, a lot of international breaks. 
in the new season. Far too many, in truth. But it is the way it is, so we'll just have to live with it. We're going to do questions first, then we'll break early because there's only a couple. And then when we come back, we're going to do Brighton and Chelsea. Then we'll do a bit of news, a bit of gossip. Going to look to do about 45 minutes today, no more than that. So, um, FAC 1977, the British Journal of Sports Medicine released a new study highlighting the increase in hamstring injuries in the last 20 years, especially the number of injuries when returning too quickly from an initial one. Given the increase and KDB's rupture, a notable rupture last week, I was curious about your knowledge. I have very little. Uh, can you go through some PL players who's, where the hamstring just ended their career? Are there some players who returned to that top level after a ruptured hamstring? Okay, so Michael Owen is the most notable one. Um, Michael Owen's career was never the same after he ruptured his hamstring. He still had a couple of good years before leaving Liverpool, but that explosive burst of speed was gone. And I've said before, Michael Owen pre-injury was what people view Mbappe as now. Like, he was that level. He was that terrifying for defenders. After the hamstring rupture, he was never quite the same. Um... Other players that have had bad hamstring injuries. Ryan Giggs, I don't know if he ever had a full rupture, but he certainly had a bad hamstring injury, a couple of them, early in his career. And he overcame them and went on to have a very good career. Stephen Gerrard had some hamstring issues. It's a lot of explosive players. Uh, Tariq Lamptey is obviously a recent one who has had a full rupture, uh, similar to Owens. But given the advancement in you know treatment and the the surgical options now lamptey doesn't look like he's re- re- regained the same kind of burst but certainly looks like he is um getting back towards being able to perform on a regular basis at a high level one player who had a, a nasty hamstring injury was sebastian deisler And he, because of the injury, he ended up suffering very badly with his mental health. And that was more what ended his career rather than the injury. But the injury was the trigger for all of that. That's probably about it. I mean, there's there's definitely others. I'm just blanking on them at the moment. Uh, Tom James has put in Tim Steedten. Okay, so this is coming from... I believe ex-West Ham employee uh, saying Steve Ten is one of the names under consideration for the sporting director role, along with Lee Dykes of Brentford and Paul Mitchell. But they haven't made a decision yet on who will get the, will get the role. Um, Others that are apparently in the mix, uh, Thiago Pinto, Johan Lange, he's, his role at Villa is, I believe, coming to an end. Uh, Rui Pedro Braz of Benfica. So it does look like, and Michael Edwards, it does look like West Ham have a wide-ranging search going on. So we'll see what happens. Um, 
AMK2889. I saw a couple of weeks ago Kevin Durant became only the third NBA player to sign a lifetime contract with Nike. The other two being Michael Jordan and LeBron James. I believe Cristiano has one as well. I think that's correct. And Leo Messi has one with Adidas. That is also true. Would you be in favour of clubs signing similar contracts with sports brands? I believe currently Bayern is the only club with that type of deal. So Bayern's deal is that Adidas own part of Bayern. Adidas own, I, I don't know what the exact percentage is, but they own part of Bayern. And as a result of that, they're also then the main kit manufacturer. Um, I, in a conversation with Mo Chatra on Money Talks a couple of months ago, suggested that that was something Liverpool should look to do, to parcel out parts of the club to our main commercial partners. So Nike, Standard Chartered, and Expedia. And potentially you could sell 25% of the club to them. And that would then enable long-term strategic partners who could help grow the club together. AXA was the other one that's obviously in the mix because they sponsor the training ground. So I think it might actually have been 5% to them, 5% to Expedia. And again, it doesn't have to be these companies. This was just sort of the basis of an idea. Um, 10% to Adidas and 10% to Standard Chartered. And then perhaps FSG could maintain 20% and then sell 50% to somebody who could lead the club the way it needs to be led. FSG could retain a minority ownership and we could have those, you know, long-standing strategic commercial partners who would have more investment in the club because they would be partial owners of the club. Um, it's what Bayern have done. You look at who sits on Bayern's advisory board and it is all long-term strategic partners, people from uh, Allianz, people from Adidas, people from Audi, people from T-Mobile. There's a reason you don't see Bayern ever change sponsors or anything like that because there's no reason to. They have their partners. There's a bank as well that's part of the the whole Bayern, um, Bayern setup and and hierarchy. But yeah, I, I would be in favour of seeing us do that. Uh, Isaac Gilding, what do you think happens if Lovren is late for the playing as a Sacco? I think if it's Lovren, he just gets a slap on the wrist. The issue with Sacco was that he had had the failed drug test. And even though he was proven to not have done anything wrong, he did still take something without the club's knowledge of it. And it cost us a Europa League final. Simple as that. It would have been Colo and Sacco starting in that final, not Colo and Lovren. And Lovren, despite the fact that Albi Moreno got m- most of the blame, Lovren was by far the biggest culprit in our defeat that night. Um, I don't think it was just that incident of being late for the plane that got Sacco in trouble. I think it was a, an accumulation of incidents. Um, there's a comment here from Keem. Uh, Dave's bitterness and pettiness towards Pep is fairly fucking insufferable. And then to pretend Sir Alex Ferguson would have gotten the same as Pep did out of Messi 
is absurd. He'd have played him on the wing. Pep has done more for football on the pitch. Not really sure what that's meant to mean. While Fergie did more for the global reputation of British football and the reputation role of the manager. I get the bias, but for fuck's sake, it's annoying. Well, let's be honest now. I'm hardly going to be biased in favour of the manager who oversaw his club, our biggest rival, slapping the shit out of us for 20-odd years, am I? No, I'm looking at it objectively amongst two managers that have managed rivals of ours. And I'm looking at their whole career and what they've done as managers. That's what I'm looking at. I'm not buying into modern-day hype. I'm not reacting knee-jerk to stuff going on now in the moment. I'm looking at it from a historical perspective. I'm not tainted by recency bias. I'm looking at it from the bigger picture. And the bigger picture here is that Alex Ferguson's had a much harder path to achieve what he did than Pep Guardiola. And the idea that Pep got more out of Messi than anybody else could is also nonsense. It's also absurd, by the way. You think any other manager couldn't have made him a great player? Nonsense. Ferguson wouldn't have played him on the wing. Ferguson would have played him off a striker in a front two. Pep played him on the wing all bar one season. All bar one season, Pep played him on the right wing. One season as a false nine. All the rest of it under Pep. Oh, it might have been two seasons. Yeah, it was. Sorry, I'm wrong. It was two seasons. But the rest, he played right wing. Ferguson would have played him off a striker. He wouldn't have played him on the wing. So that's horseshit, just so you're aware. It is horseshit. Uh, Alex Ferguson was a better manager than Pep. Alex Ferguson achieved more than Pep. Alex Ferguson had a much harder path than Pep. No manager in history has ever, ever had the deck stacked in their favour more than Pep Guardiola. So there you go. I'll take a break now. And when we come back, we're going to look at Brighton and we're going to look at Chelsea. Right, welcome back. So we've got Brighton up next to take a look at what they need this summer or what they might do. And, I mean, they've had an unbelievable season last year, didn't they? Finishing sixth. Way outperforming expectations. Also got to an FA Cup semi-final. Played, I think, the best football in the league. And they're already set up to be better. I know they've lost Alexis and I I know they're going to lose Caicedo. But Enciso will kick on next season. They can bring a a Dingra back into the mix. They've got Billy Gilmore there, who I think is ready to step up a bit. They've got Buenanote, who'll step up next season. Yasin Yari they brought in in January, massive talent, another one that should be ready to step up for them. They've got a ton of players out on loan that they can bring back, including Kasper Kozlowski, who's an enormous talent. So I think they're in really good shape. They've already added Joe Pedro. They've added James Milner. It looks like Mo de Hood is on his way, and it looks like they're going to add Bart Verbruggen, who's maybe the best young goalkeeper in the world, from Anderlecht. So that will be a huge upgrade to their goalkeeping position as well because, let's be honest now, Robert Sanchez isn't great, but don't tell Chelsea because they might spend $40 million on him. And Jason Steele has never been a Premier League calibre goalkeeper, but he is good at playing out from the back. Verbruggen is outstanding at playing from the back. He's also an incredible shot stopper with 
real shades of like a Jan Oblak type. Um, they'll still need to add more, but they're in they're in better shape than most clubs. You know, they are just in better shape than most clubs. So I would have said goalkeeper as a priority, but it looks like Verbruggen will arrive. Levi Colwell is gone. They are trying to buy him on a permanent deal, but it seems unlikely. They've been linked to one or two others. I think a left-footed centre-back is something they'll add. They've got a stupid on at left-back, so they're more than happy there. I think they should look to upgrade the right-back position where Joel Veltman's been playing. I don't think it needs to be someone that walks in as an everyday starter because you've still got Veltman. I assume he's staying for the season. Could be wrong. Maybe he leaves. But you'll, you'll still also have Tyreek Lamptey. So for me, I've said this before, the one I would look at for them is Ronnie Edwards to be that Veltman type. Centre-back who's comfortable at right-back. You know, that's basically what Veltman was. Good on the ball, able to flex into a back three, but more than comfortable step into midfield or step wide and involve themselves in the attack. I think Ronnie Edwards of Peterborough would make a lot of sense for them as a player they can develop, a player with a big upside. Peterborough not getting promoted means they will likely have to sell. They were looking for about 10 million last summer. I think they'd probably take five, six with some add-ons this summer. And I think he is outstanding. I think he's got huge potential. So if I was Brighton, he's who I'd be looking at. The shades of Ben White about his game as well. But I think he's going to be a lot better defensively than Ben White. So he's one to for them, I think, to look at. Um, McAllister gone... They've got Gilmore, they've got Ayari, they've got Dehoud coming in. So I think they're going to be okay there. Replacing Caicedo will be very difficult, but it's Brighton. I'm sure they've got a list of players they believe can step into that role. They will get Jakob Motor back next season, which will be a help. And then they've got really good wide options. I don't think they need to do anything in the wide areas. Solly March... Lalana can play wide. They've got they'll get Sarmiento back, who should kick on. Matoma, obviously, Buenanote. In the number ten role, again, you've got Lalana, you've got Gross, you've got um Andrew Moran can play there, you've got Julio and Ciso, you've got Jao Pedro. They're going to be fine there. And up front, Evan Ferguson, Dennis Undav, Danny Welbeck, Jao Pedro, and if needed, Enciso can play there too. I don't think they need to touch that attacking area. They might, it's Brighton, they might add somebody. Kozlowski's another option to play in there. So they might add somebody, but I don't think they will. I think they'll go with what they've got. I think finding the replacement for Caicedo, upgrading the right back and getting that for Bruggen deal done. And then you're just looking for that lefty centre back. It's not a priority as a starter because Webster's really good. Dunk is very good. But they do need another starter quality centre back in there to give them three. I assume they'll re up Jean Paul, uh, Jean Paul, Jan Paul Van Heck, sorry, Jan Paul Van Heck. They've also got Young Afaya, who they're very high on. But I assume a left footed centre back will follow goalkeeper and then it's just a right back and then replacing Caicedo. 
So they've got bits to do. Like, it's, it's not nothing. But if they get Verbruggen done, they've got Joe Pedro in, is coming in. It it really does mean they're not having massive amounts to do. Edwards, I think, could be done cheap. The centre-back I'd look at, if I was them, is Jacob Greaves of Hull. Left-footed centre-back, comfortable on the ball, progressive, wouldn't cost a fortune coming out of the championship. Definitely one you can develop. I think you could get him and Edwards from the lower leagues at really, really good value. And then you just, you've got one task then. Find that replacement for Caicedo. And it is something they've done very well is finding kind of that holding midfield dynamic player. Basuma, Mwepu, Caicedo, they've found all three of them at very affordable prices. I would back them to do it again. I think Brighton will have a good season. I think they'll see a drop in terms of league position, but it wouldn't surprise me if they were to go quite far in the uh, Europa League, like semi-finals type of far. It's a really good team with a really good manager. They're incredibly well run. They're the best run club in the league. And they've just got this immense recruitment team. Like there's others they can bring back in. Jensen Weir is a really interesting player that they can bring in and give opportunities to in some of the cups and see where he stands. And then you could, if you want, you can loan him out for the second half of the season. And it wouldn't surprise me if they did that. Um, the player to keep an eye on, I think, as a replacement for Caicedo is Osama El Asosi the Moroccan player at Union St. Gelos, the club that they also own. He's the one I think they might eye up to bring in because technically they already own him, so that's an easy deal to do. I think I don't think he's ready to start every game, but he's ready to start fairly regularly. He was tremendous last season for Union St. Gelos. Hmm. He's also got a twin brother that I wasn't aware of. I've never seen the twin brother play because I hadn't heard of him until just now. Um, Don't think he's quite the same level by the looks of things, but yeah, that's, that's, they're easy deals. Greaves, that's an easy deal. Edwards, easy deal. And Alasosi would be a fairly easy deal. I think they could get those three done really quickly if they wanted to. But knowing them, they'll have 15 players that we haven't heard of or that we're not all that familiar with. They'll have somebody from South America lined up without question. There'll be somebody that they've identified to come in. They've, they've got this incredible pathway now from South America. Uh, we'll move on. To Chelsea, they had an embarrassing season. They finished 12th. They were a mess. They signed 5,000 players. Very little of it worked out. But I've said before, the bones of something special is there because of how much they've spent. They've just found themselves now with a lot of talent. They've got a real manager now in Pochettino, which... 
look, Potter is a good manager. He is a good manager. But at the same time, he was just such a wrong appointment for that club at that time. And now I think Pochettino will have assurances, will have time, will have backing, has the talent at his disposal. I mean, I've been over the Chelsea squad a bunch of times and I stand by what I said. They need a goalkeeper, a ball winner and potentially a goal scorer. But they do have Romelu Lukaku under contract. So they could just bring him back and try and reintegrate him. He would fit how Pochettino wants to play. And if they do do that, then it's really just ball winner. And I think Caicedo is the one they'll get and a goalkeeper. And they've been linked with Onana, they've been linked with Mannion. Doesn't look like they'll get either of those. It wouldn't surprise me if they went for Robert Sanchez. I don't think he's up to much, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if that's what they do. And I wonder if there's a Sanchez and Caicedo for Colwell and Cash deal that could be made. I know Chelsea don't want to lose him, but the fact of it is, you went and you spent pretty big money to bring in Badi Yashile. You've got Kaladu Koulibaly, who apparently you don't want to loan, so you're not going to sell him. You've got Bashir Humphreys, who's a very, very promising young defender in his own right. You probably can afford to let Colwell go. Maybe you put in a buyback, but I think Brighton would want it to be like $80 But all things considered, it's probably in the best interests of Chelsea to let Colwell go to get Caicedo because he'll improve you more. I wouldn't touch Robert Sanchez, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. It really wouldn't surprise me. So I don't have much to say on Chelsea. I've kind of been over the Chelsea thing multiple times. So for there, I'm just going to run into the news, run into the gossip, and I'm going to be out of here very, very quickly today. Um... John Stones in midfield, Ebrichieze at 10, England boss, Gareth Southgate's big decisions. I don't think he can really afford to start anybody in central defence if John Stones is not there. Like, John Stones is, is their best defender in this squad. Now, I think Colwell's been called up, so he could go Gwehi and Colwell, but I think if... If you're not playing Stones at centre-back, you just don't play him. You give him a break because he's played so much football. Um, I, I, I think he's got enough options in midfield that he can just leave John Stones in defence. Right, we've got a, a thing here to rank England centre-forward. So the obvious one, Harry Kane is number one. There's no no doubt there. Uh, I think Ivan Tony. The others on this list are Tony, Rashford, Abraham, Calvert-Lewin and Wilson. Uh, Tony is number two. Um, Rashford, Abraham, Wilson. Now we're talking about as a nine. Tammy's number three. To be honest, as a nine, I think Rashford is last on this list. And I like, I think Rashford's really, really talented. But on this list, I think he's, as a nine, I think he's last. I'll go Calvert-Lewin fourth and Wilson fifth. Um, But, Ollie Watkins should be on this list over over Calvert-Lewin, over Wilson, and over Marcus Rashford. I saw a story yesterday that Aston Villa had agreed a fee uh, 
with Roma for Tammy Abraham and that deal was going to happen if he hadn't torn his ACL. If I was Villa, I'd probably still be interested in that. I know he's going to miss half a season, maybe a bit more, but it was like under 30 million, which is a great, great price. I think they'd be better with Ivan Tony, but I can understand getting Tammy. He's been there before. But it does look like they want to buy another nine to pair with Watkins. I would, I've been saying this for over a year now. I think Ivan Tony and Ollie Watkins together would be incredible. Uh, do Harry Maguire and Calvin Phillips deserve their places in the England squad? No. No, they simply don't. Like, Maguire can't get a look-in at United. Phillips can't get a look-in at City. Now, it's more understandable with Phillips because they've got Rodri. But still, like, you're not playing for your club. How are you getting in your national team side? They're not the only players in that squad that don't deserve to be in it, but they are the two who stand out most. Now, if Phillips was to leave and go somewhere else, he would be playing regularly and then I'd have no problem because he's more than good enough to be in the team. But Maguire, I just, when was the last time he was actually good? Uh, West Ham have turned down Arsenal's first bid for Declan Rice. The... There has been some reports that the rumoured fee or the overall fee is going to be north of £100 which is just laughable. Uh, Chelsea have rejected a £40 million bid from Manchester United for Mason Mount. The idea that he's a £70, £80 million player with one year left on his contract is just insanity. It really is insanity. Especially coming off a bad season. Chelsea need to sell. Chelsea have no leverage here because there's no other teams in for him. So they're either going to have to accept what United offer, which I guess on the second offer will be about $50 million, or they lose him for free next summer and still have to sell somebody else this summer just to get themselves back under the FFP apron. They need to sell players before June the 30th. That's two weeks away. So that's closing in. We have some big news about Wigan Athletic. They have been taken over once again, but this one sounds really promising. So a local businessman called Mike Danson, who has a net worth over a billion quid and is the founder of Global Data PLC, also owns part of Wigan Warriors uh, rugby league team, has completed the purchase of the club and this will keep them alive. They were served with a winding up petition by the HMRC on Monday over unpaid tax bills. They were once again under a transfer embargo. Wigan, for the last, what are we looking at, four or five years, have been teetering on the brink of going out of business ever since Dave Whelan sold up. And thankfully now it looks like the club is in safe hands again. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see Wigan back in the Premier League within the next four to five years. This guy is heavily data-driven. This might be the scene of the next Brighton or Brentford, where there's a huge 
change in how they recruit, where they recruit, and who they recruit. And I could see them becoming a very, very smart club. Now, Wigan is always going to be a rugby league town. But when Wigan were doing well, Wigan Athletic, that is, were doing well, they were filling their stadium. And fans were excited about it. And having a local billionaire who will care does have a connection. That's really important. There's been a lot of great people there that have done incredible work to keep that club alive over the last couple of years. They were victims of one of the more horrendous failures by the fit and proper ownership test. When a gentleman was allowed to buy the club and then put them in administration, which ultimately led to them getting relegated when otherwise they didn't need to, they didn't need to go into administration. They just didn't. But putting them into administration cost them 12 points, sent them down and led to a circus for the last couple of years. Uh, They're going to start next season on minus eight points because they just haven't been able to pay the players over the last year. So they've been paying them late. It's just a shame. It is just a shame. But I have no doubt that they'll bounce back. I'm, I'm delighted to see a local man buying the club. I'm delighted to become involved in Wigan Athletic Football Club. I was born in Wigan. I grew up locally in the community of the town is close to my heart. We have worked hard to provide the EFL with a realistic financial plan to stabilise operations. We look forward to a fresh start for the club and planning for the upcoming season. Many community and club representatives, including Lisa Nandy, MP, David Molyneux, Executive Leader of Wigan Council, and Alison Mackenzie Folan, CEO of Wigan Council, along with the official Wigan Athletic Supporters Club and the EFL, have worked extremely hard to bring about a positive conclusion to the club's recent troubles. Wigan Athletic and its fans have had a lot of uncertainty over recent years, and the most important thing now is to give all stakeholders the opportunity to focus on the season ahead. So he has paid, that is the words of Mike Danson, he has paid tribute to those people. Um, yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Let's do the gossip and we're going to be out of here good and early today. Manchester United have ended their interest in England striker Harry Kane. Newcastle are close to agreeing a 50 million deal with Inter Milan for Nicola Barella. That's not true. That's been dismissed already. Arsenal are strong contenders to sign Kai Havertz. Not sure why that's credited to the Guardian when David Ornstein broke that story. Juventus want at least €80 million Euro for Dusan Vlahovic, but Chelsea have offered one of five players in a swap deal. Um, apparently Koulibaly is one of those players. Manchester City will resist loan offers for James McAtee. He's very promising. I think the other kid, though, that was at um, at Sheffield United with him, Tommy Doyle, is even more promising. Chelsea are prepared to match any Arsenal offer for Moises Caicedo, while Bayern Munich are also considering a move. I, I'd love to see him go to Bayern. I think he'd be incredible for them. Um, David Rea has agreed personal terms with Brighton. Sorry, with, with Tottenham. Tottenham are reluctant to meet the £40 million asking price. Tottenham are interested in Conor Gallagher. God, that would be an awful move for them. 
Nottingham Forest have rejected a thirty million pound bid from Brentford for Brennan Johnson. Don't really see why Brentford would need another winger. They've got four good ones already, and he's not a nine, and it's more a nine that they need. Burnley and Bournemouth are leading contenders to sign Mali striker El Belil Toure from Almeria this summer. He was strongly linked to Everton recently. So, hard to know where he'll end up. He's very talented, though. Newcastle have been in contact with Wren over Desiree Du, who turned 18 this month. He's he's incredibly talented. Uh, Aston Villa have agreed terms at Monchi. Birmingham will receive more than six million as part of Jude Bellingham's move from Real Madrid to Borussia Dortmund. So that brings the total cost of that to about thirty million for them. That's not bad at all for a kid that was what sixteen when he left and played one season in the championship. Um, Emil Smith Rowe is set to stay at Arsenal as he is part of their plans for next season. Well, we'll wait and see how that one works out. But unless he's playing regularly, I think he's going to want to go. That'll do me for today, folks. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye. Podcast Network.